Welcome to the Gathering at Adel's Sermon of the Week. This message is by Pastor Jeff Hopkins. As you listen, we pray that you will be encouraged, empowered, and enriched. Thank you. God bless. Well, we're, we're going to start off by reading Psalm 15. That's kind of where we, that's where we were this week. I hope you were there with us. If you, if you did not get a text message that reminded you to be reading through Psalm 15, it's because you haven't filled out a connection card, or in the rare instance you have, and then I have misplaced it. So it might not all be on you, but it's probably on me too. But if you did not get a text message about where we were going to be, please come see me after service. I'll get you a connect card so that you'll kind of see where we are. We're doing summer in the Psalms, and the purpose of this is to see the Lord through the Psalms, to reignite the beauty that they had for the Psalms. These were songs that were sung for generations of God's faithfulness. They prophesied of Jesus and his coming. And so these, these are valuable things. And so we just want to spend our summer in this. And who knows, it may go longer because we're on week three and we're only at Psalm 15. So we'll see where we get to. But we're just going to start off with Psalm 15. It will be up on the screen if you don't have it. We're out of the Christian Standard Bible. If yours might be a little bit different, but they'll be okay. We'll, we'll talk about that. Psalm 15, verse 1, it says, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? Verse 2, the one who lives blamelessly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue? Who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor? Who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord? Who keeps his word, whatever the cost? Who does not lend his silver at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. The one who does these things will never be shaken. Man, Psalm 15, if if you were reading it this week, did you just get like punched in the gut every time you read it? Or was that just me? (laughs) Just read through that and you're like, well, who can dwell in his tent? The one who lives blamelessly, that's not me. The one who practices righteousness, doesn't feel like me a lot of days. Who acknowledges the truth in his heart, punch in the gut there. Who does not slander with his tongue, that's not me. Who does not harm his friend, no, that's me too. Discredit his neighbor. Been there, done that. Despises the one that the Lord rejected. I haven't always done that. I've rejoiced with those. Honor those who fears the Lord. Keeps his word, whatever the cost. Did you just read that and you're like, man. Lord, I thought this was supposed to be encouraging to me. It just reminded me of my weakness, of my failures, of my desperate need for him. I mean, you look at that, you look at this list, there's 11 things. And the more you get down it, the more you're like, man. You feel like Isaiah, woe to me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, woe to me. You read this and you're like, Lord, who who can do this? But it points to the beauty of Jesus Christ. Who says that we have a high priest 
who was tempted in every way, just like we were, but yet he was without sin. You look at that and you're like, man, Lord, you are so good. And I'm so far from you. I mean, man, my heart and my heart, when I say, whoa, I say, Lord, I want to dwell in your tent. I want to live on your holy mountain. But man, it just, most days, not there. Most days, I feel like I'm not there. Like I'm not worthy to be there. You know, just reading through this and you're just like, man, who can attain this? Just the Lord was just speaking to me this week and he said, man, let this be an opportunity that when the Holy Spirit convicts you to confess and repent immediately. Not just with the Lord, but, but to those that you've hurt, to those that you've offended, to those that you've lied to, that you haven't walked blamelessly towards, that you've slandered. Because when, when we don't repent of it immediately, then it allows the enemy to creep in. But before the enemy even creeps in, it allows me to accuse myself of all of those things. When, when I'm reading this, and this week things come to light in my personal life, and, and you read that, and, and if I don't confess, if I don't repent immediately, then I will begin to speak over myself horrible things. I'll begin to remind myself of how bad I am, how unworthy I am, how evil I am. And then when you get through with all of that, if you don't confess and you don't repent, then you allow the enemy to come in. And all those evil and vile things, the enemy is just ready to heap up on you. Shame, guilt, condemnation. And he's ready to go, oh, yeah, you... You said you're evil, but did you see how evil you really were? Look at this. So, so when we read through these passages and we feel that, instead of forcing us to run away from God, it actually should draw us closer to Him. Make us fall more in love with Him. And that's, that's where we are. So this psalm was not intended to disqualify any of us. It was meant to teach us what it looks like to walk in unbroken fellowship with the Father. There's a little spill over there. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Hey, it's all right. Every other week we got it. It's good. We, yeah, yeah we, we, got, we got a little carpet cleaner. It's all right. <laughs> uh, if it's not you, it'll be your husband, so it's okay. <laughs> but but when, when you look at that, 1 Corinthians 11.31 says that if we judge ourselves correctly, then it leaves no, no room for judgment from others. So when the Holy Spirit brings it to you, if we judge ourselves correctly, then there's no room for me, for the enemy, or for y'all to judge me. Because I've already dealt with it with the Father and I've already gone to make it right with you. And that's, that's where I'm at right now. The purpose of Psalm 15 was to teach us how to live daily in God's presence. In close fellowship with Him. 
And it starts with this question, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Some versions might say, who can abide or dwell in your tabernacle or in your sanctuary? Who can live on your holy mountain? It's not a question necessarily of like, give me the names of the people. But what it is, it's a cry of David's heart that says, I I want something more. You see, because the the religious system was, and and they they think that Psalm 13 and Psalm 24 kind of were written closely together. And, And the, the scholars, people way smarter than me, which isn't that impressive. So people that are way, way, way smarter than me, they, they kind of think that it, David was reading the, writing this as they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the people. And so, so what you had is you had the Ark of the Covenant that housed the presence of God. And, and, and they would set up camp. And, and around, the, when they would set up camp as they were wandering in the desert, the Ark of the Covenant would be in the middle of their camp. When they built the temple... Right when, when, when Solomon built the temple, they, they placed it in the Holy of Holies. And, and that was the, the central part to their worship. But it became such a system of religion, of false, uh, of appearing to be good, but yet not actually being good. And David is saying, hey, I want, I want something more. Like, I don't want to just, like, go and visit you. You see, the the Holy of Holies was only allowed one priest, the high priest, once a year could go in there to offer up sacrifices for that whole year. David is saying, hey, I want something more than that. I don't want to stand on the outside, but who can dwell in the sanctuary? Who can abide in your tabernacle? David is saying, I want to live a life that is beyond the veil. Because for so many of us, we read this and we want to stand on the outside, uh, on this side of the veil. Even though the veil is already torn. Have you ever had like an animal and and you tie tie a rope around its leg and you tie it to a post and and you're training it to not wander off? You know, you can do this. And eventually, after some time, you can undo the rope on the other side of the post and and the animal will just stay there. Not all animals, so don't just go off and try it today. But as you train them and you break them, what, what's happened is the veil has been torn and we've decided to stay on this side because it's safer on this side. But David is saying, I want to live beyond the veil. I want to live, I don't just want to hear about you. I don't want to just like, oh, there you are. You're in this box or you're in this holy of holies. But he's saying, I want to live in close fellowship with you. I want to be an unbroken communion with you. David longed for something that was deeper than that. He, so many of us just want to stay on this side. We, we want to read our Bibles. We want to go to church. We want to get a cup of coffee or tea and spill it everywhere. And we, we, want, to, we want to just do that. And maybe we serve in, in an area of ministry and we listen and we nod at the pastor. And yes, that's really good. And we do our check mark and we go home and we eat lunch and we do all of those things. And that's, that's the extent of what we want. Because that's, that's safe. If I do that, then he doesn't have to interfere with all of this other stuff. But David is saying, I don't want you here, but I want you here. I, I want to dwell in your tent. 
I want to abide in your tabernacle. And David is longing for something deeper. Psalm 42, 1 through 2, it says, As the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. It's the cry of the psalmist that's saying, man, I, I want something more. He didn't want to just visit, but he wanted to dwell. That word dwell and abide, it, it's a, uh, a word in Hebrew. It's spelled G-U-R, but it's pronounced like G-O-O-R. I'm not going to do that because I'm not good at that. My wife will make fun of me. So we'll just leave that alone. G-O-O-R, you can go look it up and pronounce it yourself there. But what it means is it refers to... Uh, it was used to reference foreigners who lived as citizens of another land or non-relatives who lived in another person's house. It was, it was meant that, hey, I want to dwell in your tent. I know that I have no right to be there, but yet I still want to be there. David knew that he had no right to a place in God's presence, but he desired a life of uninterrupted fellowship with God. And the same is for us. We don't deserve to be in his presence, but yet that has to be where we start. We have to start where it says, Lord, I want to dwell in your house. I want to seek you with my whole heart. I want to live on your holy mount. I want that life of unbroken fellowship with you. And it has to start there. Even though we say, hey, I want that. I know that I have no right to that because the word says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But now, according to Hebrews 4, 16, it says, but now we can boldly enter the throne because of Jesus's blood. Ephesians chapter 3, 12, I think also says, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been now brought near to Jesus. So we have no right to it because of ourselves. But through Jesus Christ, we get to boldly approach it. If we're going to live a life of continue, continual fellowship with God, it must start as the desire of our heart. We must seek for the one thing that we desire. We, we can't just say, man, I really want this. Gosh. And then do nothing about it. Jesus was talking in Matthew chapter 13. Verses 44 through 46, it's called the parable of uh, the, the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. Jesus is talking, he says, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like this. That a man finds a treasure in a field and he, he goes and he sells everything to buy the field. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is also like this, that, that he sees a pearl. And he goes and sells everything so that he can go and buy the pearl. Like if we say that he is the supreme thing, that meant, Lord, I want to dwell in your house all the days of my life. That this is all that I want. I want to live in your tent. I want to abide in your tabernacle. Then we have to be able to go and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get there. I think so many times we just leave it up for chance. Oh, well, I hope it all works out. Let's see what happens. But no, David said, who can live in the house of the Lord? Who can dwell in the sanctuary? And he lists off these things, and then he goes in there, and he's like, man, that's who, that's, I want to be that person. Because that person who does that will never be shaken. Is there anything that needs to be reordered in your life that's stopping you from seeking him, that's stopping you from desiring him? Have you filled your life with other desires 
that have taken away the desire for the Lord? Do you want to seek after him with your whole heart? Do you desire him above all else? That's the start. Who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The rest of the stuff doesn't matter if it's not in our heart for that. We have to make that decision today. Are we going to seek him with all that we are? There are 11 things, 11 things that it talks about in here. And we're not going to go through all the 11. We're not even going to go through the list because I'm not going to bore you with what it means. I mean, I, th- I think we all know what it means to slander with his tongue, with your tongue. I think we all know what, what it means to walk blamelessly, to practice righteousness, to not harm your friend, to discredit your neighbor. I feel like we're there, but what I want to get to is, is the heart of those things. The first one, it says that those who surrender their lives dwell in the, in the house of the Lord. Those who surrender their lives dwell in the tent of the Lord. We seek after him, but then we have to surrender to him. I think so many times we seek after him, and, and you can get into like semantics of like we find him, he finds us, all of that stuff. I know all of the arguments, but like we seek after him, he's calling us, he finds us, we go to him, but then our lives aren't changed. It, because there's no surrender. It's like we see him, we find him, and it's like, oh man, he's so good. But then yet we still want to live our lives. Jeff Hopkins still wants to live his life without that. Like, I I, want to put God with me. But see, the first step, those who are going to dwell in the tent of the Lord are going to be people that are fully surrendered to him. Jesus, when he called his disciples, he said, come, follow me. They left everything to go be with him. I think what happens is now they wanted to go be with him, but we want him to be with us. It's a slight difference, but a massive meaning shift. They wanted to be with him, but we want him to be with us. Are our hearts saying, I want to dwell in your tent? Are you saying, I want you to come and be with me? Because if I want him to come and be with me, it's on my terms. And I'll let you get as close as I want you to get. But if your word is like that where it says, I want to dwell in his tent, that means I leave everything that I have and I go and dwell in his tent. I don't get to bring anything with me. We have to begin to go, Do I want him or do I want him to be with me? Slight difference. Massive, massive different meaning. We want to fit him into our box, into our lives. We want to welcome him. Hey, we're great with this group of friends and these people and here's God, but these are my work friends and I can't be the same person. I can't be the pastor at work because that's just not going to work. They're not going to enjoy that. So I keep him separate from that. But it has to be surrender. Surrendering means that I recognize that I'm not him. Surrendering is so easy. 
you, you know, not that, not that it's ever happened to me. It probably should have several times. You know, you, you surrender, <laughs> whether to the cops or to people that are after you. Both probably should have happened to me. You know, you surrender and you recognize you're in charge and I'm not. You're the authority and I'm not. That's what it is to, 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 the, to God. I surrender to you. I recognize that I'm not you. That you are way better, way more powerful. You're it. I surrender it all to you. Surrendering is so simple. It's just dying to ourselves. Where we say, okay, Lord, I'm not you. We surrender. Those who want to dwell in the tent of the Lord, surrender because they say, I'm not you and I lay down my life. We don't get to, we've really just made it all about like we get to drag him with us wherever we go. And we get to hold on to all these things, and then we're dragging the Lord with us wherever we go. It has to be that we die to our will. Like, we don't get to do what we, like, when you surrender, it's like, hey, okay, I give up. Oh, but hey, can you also do this, this, and this? They would look at you like, what are you talking? No. Shut your mouth, hands behind your back, cuffs go on. Yes, sir. You don't get to negotiate the terms of your arrest when you surrender. I, I don't think you do. Maybe you do, but I don't think you do. You, you, you lay down every right that you have, and you go. Surrender means to walk in obedience to him. If you want to dwell in his tent, if you want to live on his holy mountain, if you want unbroken fellowship, if you want communion that never ceases, it's walking in obedience to him. Surrendering what I want to do, what I think is right, how I would do it, and go, Lord, I trust you. And I'm going to walk in obedience to you. Number two, those who walk in righteousness dwell in the tent of God. Those who walk in righteousness dwell in the tent of God. Our thoughts, words, and actions matter deeply in our relationship to God. Our conduct towards God and towards others should reflect His character. The more time you spend with someone, you begin to resemble them. There's a, it's not scientific, so my son graduated with a science degree, whatever those things are called, so you can't prove it scientifically. But they, they say that couples, the longer you're together, you begin to resemble each other, which in some cases is better for some, not so good for others, right? But you begin to resemble each other. And, and what it is, is just that as you have spent time together, so if, if y'all, you know, y'all are both outdoor and active, so you're in the same environment a lot. So uh, although me and my wife are different, she will tan, I will go to red, then to pink, to white, and then go back all over again. You, you begin, so you put yourself in environments where, where you're doing the same things. You begin to eat the same thing, so your diets begin to match up. Or you, your facial expressions, as you have conversations with your, your spouse, you'll see facial expressions. You'll kind of mimic that subconsciously, words and phrases you will begin to use that they use, and so you begin to resemble each other. It's not really scientific, but people say that it begins to happen because what it is is the more time you spend with someone, the more you begin to resemble them. And when, when I'm talking about that those who walk in righteousness will dwell in the tent of God, it's the same way that when we spend time with God, He influences and shapes our thoughts and our behaviors. The more time you spend with him, the more than, that you will resemble him. 
the more that people will recognize him in you. We are gradually conformed into his image by the Holy Spirit working in us. Here's the key, because I think sometimes when we talk about walking in righteousness, we think about our actions. Our righteousness doesn't come from changing our actions, but it comes by spending time with him. Spending time with him will cause you to be conformed into his image. Number three, last one. Moving along, you ready? Those who honor one another will dwell in the tent of God. All, all of these are summarized through these things. I did want to go through all 11. But those who honor one another dwell in the tent of God. So that comes from those who do not slander with his tongue, who does not harm his friend, discredit his neighbor, but honors those who fear the Lord, keeps his word at whatever cost. So th- those things are honoring to one another. Those who honor one another will dwell in the tent of God. We must guard our hearts against slander and gossip. When we talk about honoring someone, it means that we recognize the value and worth that they have. Maybe even when they don't even recognize it in themselves. Like, like if we want to, okay, don't slander, don't harm your friend, don't discredit your neighbor. Right? You can go through all of those things and, and you make a list of all the things and all the ways to not do that. Or you can just say, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to see the value and the worth that you have. And that will shape how I speak about you. Because if I speak bad about you behind your back, then I'm telling you right there how much I think you're worth and how much I value you. To honor someone says, hey, I'm going to place you at such a, a level of value and worth that I would not dare speak a word against you. I would not dare discredit you. I would not dare dis. Uh, uh, harm you because I'm going to honor you. When we do that, we will, come, we will overcome any temptation to slander, gossip, or harm. When we don't honor, we do it because we don't have a proper view of each other. When I think less of you than God does, then my, my view of you is not right. When I don't see you with the same value and worth that God sees you, then I'm in the wrong. When you don't view me with the same value and worth that God looks at me with, then you're in the wrong. When I think that I'm better than you so I can talk about you, when I think that I would never do what you did, so I tell everybody what you did, that, that's saying I don't value you and I don't honor you. And I think that you're worth less than me. We like to think that as long as we're good with God, then everything's okay. You know, it's like, hey, man, me and the Lord, we're good. But the way that we honor one another reveals the condition of our heart. You cannot think poorly about one of your brothers or sisters and then be okay with God. You can't fool yourself into that. I mean, you could go, uh, me and God are cool. I just hate Trenton, though. Gosh, he just drives me nuts. You can't do that because if I, if I have that in my heart towards Trenton, which I don't, if I did, then me and God aren't as cool as I thought me and God were. You know? Our relationship with others matter. How we treat others reveals the condition of our hearts. We must consider the price that we will pay when we're tempted to slander, to gossip, to discredit, to harm one another. 
when we're tempted, it happens so quick. But we have to consider the price that we're about to pay when I speak these words about this person. And the price that I'm going to pay is broken fellowship with the Father. And then I have to decide, do I want fellowship with my Father or do I want to feel better about myself because I could speak poorly of you? Do I want to feel better about myself because I can make you look foolish or would I rather have unbroken fellowship with the Father? You have to count that cost with every word that you say. What do you want more? And it's hard because the flesh will always say, satisfy me. Because nobody will ever know all the times that you were quiet and didn't say anything. Have you ever thought about that? Nobody will ever know all the times that you were tempted to say something, but yet you were quiet. But everybody will know every word you've ever said bad. Everything that's in the secret will be exposed. It will be brought to the light. I was a youth pastor for far too long. But uh, there's, a, there's a, a tip that I had that I would always teach the kids about gossip. We're going to use Miss Linda here. That if Miss Linda is saying something about Tony to me, then you can be sure that Miss Linda is going to say something about me to Mr. Tony. We like to think, oh, man, Linda came and told me this good gossip. Well, you can be sure that she's telling somebody else something about you. Just because she came to you doesn't mean you're the only one she's talking to. We get this thought of slander and gossip and and we, we like to share other people's drama. There was a meme that I, I shared with I, me and my kids. I only text them through m- memes. And uh, one of the memes was, I hate drama. I mean, I hate being involved in drama. Other people's drama, big fan. You know? And, like, that's how we are. Like, my drama, I don't want to be involved. Other people's, big fan. You know, you're like, man, that's so true. Why is that? Because it satisfies our flesh. But we have to get to the point that says, I want to seek you above all else. And the cost, the cost is far greater than we realize. We think that, that the sin, to, to, to not walk blamelessly, to, to have things where other people can hold against us. We think, oh, that's no big deal. I can just move on, cut ties. I'll, I'll change houses, neighborhoods. I'll change phone numbers. I'll leave, and then I don't have to worry about it ever again. That's not the cost. The cost is broken fellowship with the Father. To, to not walk righteously. The cost isn't the action or the consequence of the action. The cost is broken fellowship with the Father. And you have to decide, what do you want more? What do I want more? Would I rather be killing my flesh and walking step in step with the Father? Or would I rather be far off from Him and satisfying my flesh? Here's the promise. Here's what we're ending with. Here's the promise in verse 5. The very last words, it says, The one who does these things will never be shaken. Will never be shaken. Shaken means to slip, to be moved, to be overthrown, to dislodge, to let fall, to totter, to drop. 
the ones who practices these things, who walks in surrender, who walks in righteousness and honors one another, will never be shaken. That's the promise. To never be shaken means that we won't be moved from his presence. That we won't be burdened with the consequence of sin. And that we won't be tottered by the storms of life. You do those things. Now, now does that mean that nothing bad's ever going to happen? No. But it means that you won't be shaken. That you won't be dislodged. That you won't fall that you won't be moved, that you won't slip, that you won't be overthrown. That's why the passage in, I believe it's Romans, that, hey, I'm crushed, but I'm not, is it right, crushed, but not, yeah, pressed, but not crushed, right? Forsaken, but not abandoned, all those things, right? Like, we might experience those things, but they will not be our downfall if we walk in these things. I was Walking this week, uh, yesterday, uh, walking across, we're, we're building a, a dam, and there's this big riprap, a uh, big rock, and it's like a rock berm that's kind of to separate, it's just temporary, and you're walking across that, I'm walking across that carrying, it's a bad idea, carrying like a, a rod for surveying, and then a Dr. Pepper, so I was going to lie and say a bottle of water, but why, all right, so a Dr. Pepper, you know, <laughs> y'all would have known anyways, but Carrying those two things, and you're walking across this, this rock riprap, and it can appear to be firm, and it looks great until you step on that one that just totters just a bit. And man, I almost busted. I did throw the Dr. Pepper. I kept the survey rod because that was way more expensive and worth it than the Dr. Pepper, but I almost busted. And, of course, all the guys happen to see that. And you're like, oh, man, punks. But we have to do it in such a way that when we do those things that we will not be shaken to where we don't appear to be on solid ground. Because we fooled ourselves to think that we won't be shaken, that we're on solid ground. And all it takes is one little misstep in life. One, one, one phone call, one one bill that's unpaid, one, one sickness, one disease, and you step on that rock and it's just gone. You lose everything. But those who walk a surrendered life, that walk in righteousness and honor one another, that follow those things, those are the ones that will dwell in the tent of the Lord, that will live on His holy mountain, and we will not be shaken, no matter what comes our way. I'll end with this phrase here. There is security and stability in his presence. Father, we just come before you with your word today. Submit this to you for, for you to teach us this week, for you to convict us, to bring to light things that, that we've hidden, that we've forgotten about, that we've lied to ourselves about. Father, if there's any area of surrender... Any area that we need to surrender, Father, I pray that you would reveal it to us. Any, any place that we're not walking in righteousness, where, where we've spent more time with other things than with you, Father, will you just show that to us right now? Show us where we can correct that. 
And Father, where we've been dishonoring to anybody, Father, may you just be gracious to us. Speak those names to us so that we can go and make it right. Father, may we be people that walk in righteousness. May we be people that live, that abide, that dwell in your tent and your sanctuary, Father. May we be those people. May we look more like you than we did the day before. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Normally there's announcements. There's no announcements today. So love you guys. Hey, don't be so excited about that. See y'all later. If you don't get the text or email, mainly text, come see me. I'll get you taken care of.